BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. You know how you can feel like you're doing a whole lot better than everybody else, and then all of a sudden you come across somebody who makes you feel kind of insignificant by comparison? So Jack Dorsey, who is the former CEO of Twitter and now is on the board of Twitter, has a net worth of $6.6 billion. That's with a B. That's the big number, nine zeros. You feel pretty good if you're six billionaire, right? I mean, that's doing all right. You can afford the Doritos Locos Tacos at Taco Bell. You don't have to settle for the regular ones. But then along comes Elon Musk, who buys Twitter for $44 billion. Initially, it was $46.5 billion, but they knocked it down two and a half for, I don't know, blue light savings. And if you put that in perspective, that means that Elon Musk is paying seven Jack Dorseys for Twitter. <laughs> and, and, and the thing that kills me about this is Elon Musk is still going to be worth over $200 billion when he gets done with this. Somewhere probably in the vicinity of 220 because we figure right around 250 to 275 billion. You know, the fluctuation in his net worth is 20 or 25 billion dollars worth. And the money's not even necessarily coming out of his pocket. So he might still be close to 300 billion worth when it's all over and own Twitter. So it's kind of like the old adage, no matter how much you've got, there's always somebody that's got more. Unless you're Elon Musk. And now to Egypt, where archaeologists have unearthed the remains of an ancient temple they say would have been devoted to Zeus the god of the sky, the supreme god in Greek mythology. That's in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. The ruins were unearthed at Tel El Farma, an archaeology area in the northwest of the peninsula. And if you look at a picture, it doesn't look like much. Uh, imagine a very small church parking lot that's all covered in sand with a couple of those concrete parking dividers is about what it looks like to my untrained eye. But at one time, apparently, this was a base of a religious temple. The site of the ruins, referred to as Pelusium, uh, dates to a later pharaonic period, and you've got Greco-Roman ruins there, Byzantine elements, the Christians, the Muslims have been there. It's a very widely trafficked area. So I know you tend to think about Egypt and you tend to think about the pharaohs and the pyramids, but, you know, there are other things to be discovered there, which is what Egypt's Ministry of Tourism is hoping that you'll pick up from the story, especially since Egypt is starving for tourists right now, both due to COVID and the fact that lots of Russians form their tourist base. And of course, they're not traveling much these days. By the way, as a side note, the director of archaeology sites in the Sinai, Hisham Hussein, says that the inscriptions on the Zeus temple suggest that it might have been renovated by Hadrian, the emperor of Rome from about 117 to 138, a guy whose claim to fame is he built the second most famous wall in history between England and Scotland. And now from the isn't this how horror movies start file? A man on the west coast of the United States helped his grandparents to buy a home. It was built in 2018 and they recently took occupancy and he was visiting from his home country just for a couple of days to help his grandparents get moved in. And as he was in one of the closets, he was taking a grocery bag, you know, the cloth kind that you reuse. And because there were several of them hanging on a hook, he was pulling at it and it didn't seem to want to come loose. And finally, when it did, somehow or other, that led to him discovering a trap door in the closet. Well, what do you do when there's a trap door in a new house you buy? Oh, you open it, obviously. So he opens it and it leads to a secret basement. 
that the realtor never told them existed, that they had no idea was there. So he climbs down the ladder. Yeah, it's a ladder to the basement, more like a glorified crawl space, really. And in the basement, dozens of cardboard boxes filled with, well, that's the question. See, turns out they bought this home from somebody who had previously owned it and passed away, and so there was a estate, so to speak, and he hasn't looked through all the boxes. And people on Reddit are freaked out. How is it possible that you would find secret boxes in a secret basement in a house you just bought and not open every single one of them? He did go through a few, and he said it was full of mostly 60s-era memorabilia photos and clothes, and now they've called the previous owners to see if they want to go sort through it and, you know, keep whatever items they want to keep. He said he didn't feel good about selling things that might have belonged to somebody else. I don't know. You buy the house, you get the stuff that's in it. And I'm just telling you, for me, if I find a secret trap door and a secret basement in a house that I buy, I'm looking through every single one of those boxes. Because if I'm finding like a Honus Wagner card or a Detective Comics 27 or a diamond, uh, that's not going in the list of things that I tell the old owners was actually in the basement of their house. We'll just call that a finder's fee. On the other hand, if I crack open one of those boxes and I find a single creepy-looking doll, uh, we're burning it and having an exorcism right there, and we're moving out of the house immediately. Like I said at the beginning, you gotta know when you're living in Act 1 of a horror movie, and act accordingly. Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? Nope, you go in the fire. And finally, the problems of long-term spaceflight. Putting aside the possibility of hyperspace or warp drive, one of the key challenges of distant space travel is, of course, the time involved, and that humans don't live long enough to survive the journey. You'd basically have to raise kids and raise kids and raise kids, and eventually your great-great-grandchildren would colonize the planet, which leads to the premise built into most science fiction movies of something along the lines of cryosleep or stasis or what we would ordinarily call hibernation. And usually when you see this in a movie, you kind of take it for granted. Oh, sure, they figured all that out. Well, scientists aren't so easily persuaded because at some point they have to actually build the device that uses the theory that the movie took for granted. Enter Roberto Nespolo, an ecologist at the Austral University of Chile and some colleagues who decided to take seriously the idea of what would be required of humans to go into, let's say, a 120-year space voyage in cryosleep. And more to the point, what would happen if 10 of these astronauts were sleeping and one woke up? And now that one has to make the decision of sustaining his own life with all the food on board or allowing himself to pass away and saving the lives of his fellow travelers. Bit of a gruesome scenario, but it led to an observation. During hibernation, which is roughly what cryosleep would look like, you still consume some nutrients. And these folks figured out that a 154-pound person, say an average to small human being, hypothetically needs to expend about 250 kilojoules per day of energy or consume about 6.5 grams of fat per day. That means roughly 5 pounds of fat per year. So if you're figuring a 120-year trip, you're now talking about 600 pounds of fat. Not feasible. You can't put people in cryosleep weighing 750 pounds, hoping they're going to lose 600 pounds over the course of the journey and come out and trim 150 on the other side. And of course, it also raises the challenge of how do you put humans into that condition? And I know it sounds like what this means is that cryosleep or hibernation or whatever is basically an impossibility. Of course, you know, I've seen enough movies to know you could feed the humans with tubes. It wouldn't be the most pleasant thing in the world, but I imagine it's possible. But that's not my big takeaway. My big takeaway is I now have a comeback when people observe the beauty of my dad bod. It's all good. I'm training for space travel. Beer me. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup, and consider subscribing to the digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star rating on your way out the door. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.